few episodes ago, I told you about peregrine falcons, a bird of prey and the fastest animal in the world. Today, I want to tell you about some other birds of prey, four that are hawks and two that aren't. Now, I'm grouping them together because while there are many species of hawk, there are some raptors that, even though they have hawk in their common name, they are not, in fact, hawks. So let's talk hawks, and not really hawks. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. Now, all birds of prey, also known as raptors, share some common features. Owls are nocturnal, they hunt at night, but any raptor that's not an owl, hawks, falcons, osprey, eagles, and vultures, are diurnal, they hunt during the day. And because they hunt during the day, they have excellent eyesight. The eyes of a raptor average about 1.4 times larger than other birds of the same weight. In addition, their eyes are tube-shaped, which, just like a telescope, magnifies the image. Not only that, but raptors have more receptors per square millimeter in their retina, about twice as many as we humans. It's like we're watching TV in standard definition, and raptors are watching in ultra-high definition, through binoculars. Another common feature of raptors is their beak. Many birds hunt, kill, and eat meat. Think about herons or kingfishers or even crows, but they're not considered birds of prey. A raptor's beak is distinctive. It's hooked and it has sharp edges. The hook helps kill the prey, and the sharp edges help tear the meat into pieces small enough to swallow. The final common feature that raptors share is their feet. Most raptors have strong feet with sharp, curved talons, the exception being vultures. The arrangement of the toes, three facing forward, and usually a larger one called the hallux facing backwards, is called a raptorial arrangement. When catching prey, the hallux is pushed through the prey, which not only kills the prey, but helps the raptor carry it to a safe place and put that beak to use. Many raptors also have rough pads on their feet to help them grip prey. Now, humans and raptors have a lot of history together. There's evidence that the art of falconry, which is hunting small game using trained birds of prey, began in Mesopotamia as early as 2000 BC eventually spreading throughout Europe when the Huns and Alans invaded from the east in 400 AD. While it may have been used by nomadic people and those in lower classes to supplement their diet, falconry requires a large commitment of time, money, and space, which made it a popular sport and a status symbol among the nobles of medieval Europe and Asia. Even now, though it's called falconry, the most commonly used birds of prey for the sport have generally been hawks, though falcons, eagles, and even owls have been successfully trained. Coincidentally, the most commonly used hawk in falconry happens to be one of the most widely distributed hawk in the Americas, the red-tailed hawk. Even if somehow you've never seen a red-tailed hawk, chances are you've heard its call. That distinctive and I mean, come on, that is a majestic cry, is often used in movies and TV for the considerably less majestic cry of either birds like eagles, which are kind of squeaky, and vultures, which actually have no vocal cords. I was actually just watching a popular TV show the other day, and they used a red-tailed hawk cry with an image of circling vultures. 
Red-tailed hawks have the largest breeding range of any diurnal raptor north of the Mexican border, just ahead of the American kestrel, which I'm going to talk about later. The peregrine falcon, which was the subject of episode 17, has greater latitudinal distribution as a nester in North America, but its range as a breeding species is far more sporadic than that of the red-tailed hawk. Red-tailed hawks breed throughout North America, from the interior of Alaska and Canada in the north to Panama and the West Indies in the south. Red-tailed hawks can acclimate to all the biomes within their range. It occupies a wide range of habitats and altitudes, including deserts, grasslands, coniferous and deciduous forests, agricultural fields, and urban areas. Its northern limit is around the tree line in the subarctic. In general, it prefers varied habitats with open woodland, woodland edges, and open terrain. Red-tailed hawks are one of the largest species of hawk in North America, weighing up to about 3.5 pounds and having a wingspan of between 3.5 and 4.5 feet. Color varies a bit with region and subspecies, but as their name suggests, they're usually brownish with a white underbelly with a dark band across it. The top of the tail is a brick reddish color. Red-tailed hawks are often easy to spot if you're paying attention. The majority of their time is spent either soaring or perching. A soaring hawk flaps its wings very little, using the air currents to provide lift. Active flight is slow and deliberate with deep wing beats. When flapping or soaring, it can travel at speeds of 20 to 40 miles an hour, and when diving, can reach speeds of up to 120 miles an hour. They're considered partially migratory, usually only migrating from regions where the snow cover is continuous throughout the winter. Now, contrary to popular belief, soaring hawks are not usually hunting. Red-tailed hawks hunt either from a perch or with a much lower flight. Normally, they'll perch on a tree branch or a telephone pole and can sit there for hours, occasionally stretching a single wing or a leg to keep limber. I mean, it's all fun and games until you pull a hammy, right? Hunting red-tailed hawks also use trees, bushes, or rocks for concealment before making a surprise attack. Now, red-tailed hawks are opportunistic feeders, meaning that any small animal they encounter is a possible source of food. Their most common prey, though, is rodents, which make up about 85% of their diet, along with rabbits. But they'll also eat birds, reptiles, fish, amphibians, and invertebrates. Studies have documented nearly 500 different species that are preyed on by red-tailed hawks. Now, one of the things that red-tailed hawks have to contend with is mobbing by other birds, particularly members of the corvid family, like crows and blue jays. You may have seen a hawk flying while being harassed by much smaller birds. I talked about mobbing behavior in corvids way back in episode 2. Now, crows can be a particular problem for a solitary hawk because they can gather in large groups, as many as 75, and have the ability to either injure a lone hawk or separate a nesting pair, which leaves the eggs and young vulnerable. Crows are well known for being nest predators. Interestingly, birds that mob red-tailed hawks can tell how distended the hawk's crop is. A distended crop indicates that the bird has eaten recently. A flat crop indicates that it might be getting ready to hunt. Mobbing is more likely to occur when the hawk is presumably just about to hunt. In the woods here at Dispatches HQ, we have a cousin of the red-tailed hawk, the red-shouldered hawk. 
Although somewhat similar in appearance, red-shouldered hawks are smaller than their red-tailed cousins, weighing less than two pounds and with a wingspan of just over four feet. Adults have brownish heads, reddish chests, and pale bellies with reddish bars. Their tails, which are long for a hawk, are marked with narrow white bars. Their red shoulders are visible when the birds are perched. Red-shouldered hawks are not as widely distributed as their cousins. These are, in general, a forest raptor. In the east, they range from the eastern edge of the Great Plains, as far north as the southern edge of Canada, and south to the Gulf Coast and eastern Mexico. The most northern populations do migrate and have been known to venture westward during that time. A western population inhabits a narrow strip along the west coast, breeding west of the Sierra Nevada mountains from northern California to northern Baja, California, although they have recently been documented in Oregon and east of the Sierra Nevadas in California and southern Nevada. Now, like I said, the red-shouldered hawk is a forest raptor. Western populations inhabit riparian and oak woodlands, in addition to eucalyptus groves and some residential areas. In the east, they inhabit bottomland hardwood stands, swamps, and upland forests. You will also find red-shouldered hawks in suburban areas where houses or other buildings are mixed into woodlands. They prefer stands that have an open subcanopy for easier hunting. Red-shouldered hawks search for prey either while perched on a treetop or soaring over woodlands. When they sight prey, they drop directly onto it from the air. When hunting in clearings, they fly high and drop to surprise prey. They might even cache food near their nest to eat later. Like other hawks, they prey primarily on small mammals, but they'll eat insects, birds, or amphibians. In areas where they're common, crayfish can actually be an important source of food. Now, like most raptors, the red-shouldered hawk is monogamous and territorial. While courting or defending territories, they call in a distinctive screaming kiosk call, usually repeated three to four times. Identification by sound alone can be a challenge, though, because blue jays do a remarkable red-shouldered hawk imitation. I've actually witnessed this here at Dispatches HQ. We have red-shouldered hawks in our woods, and I've both seen them and heard them. But one morning, I heard one calling and went out to look for it, only to find a blue jay sitting in the top of a tree doing a spot-on imitation. Courtship displays occur on the breeding grounds and involve soaring together in broad circles while calling or soaring and diving toward one another. Males may also perform what's been called a sky dance by soaring high in the air and then making a series of steep dives, each followed by a wide spiral and rapid ascent. These courtship flights usually occur in late morning and early afternoon. Prior to 1900, the red-shouldered hawk was one of the most common North American raptors. However, population densities have decreased precipitously due to the clearing of mature forests since that time. In addition, forest clearing has led to a population increase of the red-tailed hawk, which, on occasion, will prey on its cousin. Unchecked hunting also had a negative impact on their population, as it did on most raptor species, until conservation laws took effect in the latter half of the 20th century. Current populations are stable, but habitat loss is always a concern. Each year, 30% or fewer of nesting attempts are successful, 
and less than half of the young survive past their first year. Eggs and young are preyed on by other animals, including raccoons, snakes, martens, or other raptors like great horned owls, barred owls, or red-tailed hawks. Remember how I said that crows will mob red-tailed hawks? Interestingly, in Florida, red-shouldered hawks have been documented not only peacefully coexisting with crows, but even collaborating with them, joining them in mobbing mutual predators like great horned owls and red-tailed hawks. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, I guess. Now, the last two hawks I want to tell you about are very similar. These are Cooper's hawks and sharp-shinned hawks. Cooper's hawks are generally described as a medium-sized hawk. They're about the size of a crow. Sharp-shinned hawks, on the other hand, are called a small hawk, about the size of a blue jay. Now, male sharp-shinned hawks are the smallest hawk in the United States and Canada, but there's some overlap between the smallest Cooper's hawks, which, like many other raptors, are usually the males, and the largest sharp-shinned hawks, which are usually female. So people often confuse the two species. Adding to that confusion is the fact that in places, the ranges of the Cooper's hawk and sharp-shinned hawk overlap. The breeding range of the Cooper's hawk extends from southern Canada to northern Mexico and throughout the United States, with the exception of a couple of small geographic regions. Like other hawks, they're partially migratory. Populations in the northern U.S. and southern Canada migrate as far as Mexico in the winter. Sharp-shinned hawks are also widespread in North America, occurring in all forested parts of the United States and Canada, and breeding in most of it. In the northernmost part of their range, they migrate as far south as the southern U.S. and all the way down into Panama. Cooper's hawks and sharp-shinned hawks both prey primarily on small to medium birds. For Cooper's hawks, birds make up anywhere from 50 to 85 percent of their diet. For sharp-shinned hawks, that number may be as high as 97 percent. They catch their prey by hunting from cover, relying almost totally on surprise. They hunt with agile, twisting flights through dense vegetation, interspersed with short periods of perching and scanning. And hunting in this manner is dangerous. In one study, 300 Cooper's hawk skeletons were examined, and it was found that almost one quarter had healed fractures in the bones of the chest. Cooper's hawks normally catch their prey with their feet and kill it by constriction, repeatedly squeezing it and holding it away from its body until it dies. They've also been seen drowning their prey by holding it underwater. Now, a lot of times people, especially those that put out bird feeders, get upset at the hawks for killing the songbirds that come to their feeders. Now, I have a few thoughts on this. First of all, data has shown that birds using feeders were at no greater risk of hawk attack than those in random transects. So you can take heart that you're not setting up an easy hawk buffet by feeding the songbirds. Secondly, I'd much rather have a hawk kill a songbird at my feeder than my neighbor's cat. The hawk is at least a native species. The cat is not. And finally, I prefer to think of it like this. If a songbird gets killed by a hawk, that's a bad day for that songbird, to be sure. But it's a good day for the hawk. Because after all, the hawk has to eat too, and it's just fulfilling its natural role in the ecosystem. Okay, now I want to tell you about a couple of raptors that are not hawks, even though they have hawk in their common name. The first is the American kestrel, often called a sparrowhawk. 
but the kestrel is not a hawk, but rather a falcon. It's the smallest and most common falcon species in North America. Kestrels are similar to sharp-shinned hawks in size, roughly the size of a blue jay or a mourning dove. Now, many raptors display what's called sexual dimorphism, a fancy way of saying that males and females look different. With many raptors, the main difference, sometimes the only difference, is size. Females are usually somewhere between 15 and 25% larger than males. But with kestrels, they also differ in their plumage. The main difference, though not the only one, is that male kestrels have slate blue wings, while females are reddish brown. Both are pale when seen from below, and warm, rusty brown spotted or black above, and they have a black band near the tip of their tail. Both sexes also have pairs of black vertical slashes on the sides of their faces. Since one is in front of the eye and one behind it, these marks are sometimes called a mustache and a sideburn. They also have two black spots, called ocelli, on each side of the nape of the neck. The function of these spots is up for debate, but it's commonly thought that they act as false eyes, helping protect the bird from potential attackers. Now, as I said, in addition to being the smallest falcon in North America, kestrels are also the most common. Its breeding range extends from central and western Alaska, across northern Canada, south throughout the U.S., into Mexico and the Caribbean. It's widely distributed throughout South America as well. Most birds breeding in Canada and the northern United States migrate south to Central America in the winter. Kestrels nest in cavities, but can't excavate them on their own. They rely on old woodpecker holes, natural tree hollows, rock crevices, or nooks in buildings and other human-built structures. This is another bird species that benefits from standing dead trees. The male searches for possible nest cavities, and when he's found suitable candidates, he shows them to the female, who makes the final choice. Typically, nest sites are in trees along wood edges or in the middle of open ground. The female lays three to seven eggs, and both sexes help to incubate them. As far as diet goes, kestrels feed on small animals. Primary prey are insects like grasshoppers and crickets, but they'll also eat lizards, mice, voles, shrews, frogs, and small birds like sparrows, hence the tag sparrowhawk. Their broad diet has contributed to their success and adaptability as a species. The kestrel's primary mode of hunting is perching and waiting for prey to come near. The bird is usually seen along roadsides or fields, perched on objects like trees, power lines, signs, or fence posts. It also hunts by kiting, which is hovering 30 to 60 feet in the air with rapid wing beats and scanning the ground for prey. Kestrels are actually the only raptor capable of hovering, but they can't beat their wings fast enough to do it like a hummingbird. They need to face into the wind to do it, which explains why it's called kiting. Before striking, the kestrel characteristically bobs its head and tail, then makes a direct flight toward the prey to grab it in its talons. Kestrels conserve energy when hunting and pick their attacks very carefully. So if you spot one hovering, keep watching. There's a good chance you'll get to see it strike. Okay, the last raptor I want to tell you about today is the osprey, which is often called a sea hawk, a river hawk, or a fish hawk. But, like the kestrel, the osprey is not a hawk. But it's also not a falcon or an eagle either. The osprey actually belongs to its own family. Ospreys are large raptors, similar in size to red-tailed hawks, but with longer wings. 
An adult osprey measures about two feet long, but has a wingspan just shy of six feet. They're brown on the upper parts and predominantly grayish on the head and underparts. They're the second most widely distributed raptor behind the peregrine falcon. Osprey can be found on every continent except Antarctica, and they adapt to a wide variety of habitats, just as long as there are fish. The osprey is unique among North American raptors for several reasons, but one of the primary reasons is that the osprey is piscivorous, a fancy word meaning that it eats fish almost exclusively. Other raptors might include fish in their diet, but 99% of an osprey's diet is fish. And let me tell you, when you're that specialized as a hunter, you become very, very good at it. Studies of osprey determined that they were successful on one out of every four hunting attempts and sometimes had a success rate of up to 70%. The average time spent hunting without making a catch was 12 minutes. I know some fishing enthusiasts, myself included, who would love to catch a fish on one in four casts or even every 12 minutes. But for the osprey, this success rate has another benefit. Since bald eagles are notorious for harassing osprey into dropping their catch so they can steal it, the osprey won't have to wait long before it has another chance if an eagle steals its dinner. Osprey have evolved several adaptations that contribute to their fishing success. Their vision is well adapted to detecting underwater objects from the air. They spot their prey from 30 to 100 feet above the water, hover momentarily, then plunge feet first into the water, frequently submerging completely. As an osprey dives, it adjusts the angle of its flight to account for the distortion of the fish's image caused by refraction. Osprey's feathers are dense and oily to prevent them from getting waterlogged, and they have closable nostrils to keep water out when they hit the water. Their large wings give maximum lift from the water, but it's their feet that are the most specialized for catching fish. First of all, unlike other raptors which have a longer rear talon, osprey's toes are all equal length. Also unlike other diurnal raptors, their outer toe is reversible, although this is a trait they share with owls. This lets them grip prey with two toes on either side. Finally, needle-like structures under their toes, called spicules, combined with backwards-facing scales on their talons that act as barbs, combine to help them get a good, firm grip on slippery fish. Once they catch a fish, they carry it head-first, in line with their body for better aerodynamics, to a nearby perch to eat. And with that, Wild Wanderers, we've reached the end of this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Be sure to leave a like and subscribe. You can also follow Dispatches from the Forest on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion for a future episode, feel free to email me at dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, and I sincerely hope you are, and you want to support future episodes, please check out my Patreon page and consider becoming a patron. Tiers start at just $5 a month. You can find all the pertinent information at patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty.
The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.